John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Let's, and once you find it, go ahead and stand. Out of respect for God's word, we're going to jump right in this morning. We're back in the, in the book of John. John chapter 1 has been our text uh, the last few weeks. Today's text takes place one day after John declared last week in our text that Jesus is the Lamb of God. This is the very next day when we come to this part. And, and if you can imagine, so just put on your thinking cap, your imagination cap, maybe for a minute, and imagine one day John the Baptist says, okay, this is the Lamb of God that you've been waiting for for years and years and years and years. Okay, the next day, do you think that would have affected the crowd a little bit? I mean, I do. If, 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 if the rumbling starts to get around that the Messiah is here and he showed up today, I think the next day we're seeing a larger group of people come out. I think there's anticipation, so the curiosity has started to build. And we're going to read our, begin our reading in verse 29. Uh, it says this, this is the, the day that we talked about last week, second day. The day, next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is what we covered last week. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest in, to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So this is day three. He makes the same pronouncement, Behold the Lamb of God. Look at verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And we're not going to get further in the text today um, because I, I want to focus really on the spirit of John the Baptist in this exchange with Jesus Christ. See, we've seen for a few weeks how, Jesus, how John's entire purpose in life is to point people to Jesus. And once again, he gives us an incredible example of how to make life about Jesus Christ instead of ourselves. See, the title of this today, it's simple, it's this, it's not my kingdom. It's not my kingdom. If Jesus is who he says he is, then it's not my kingdom. And I think we've got some things to learn in regard to that thought this morning. See, if you will have the mindset, it's not my kingdom... It'll change how you respond in just about every situation in life. Because you recognize it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And I don't know that there's a more important lesson for us to hold on to today than this. It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. If he is who he says he is, then it's about his kingdom. Let's pray and ask the Lord to meet with us. God, Father, we need you. 
I pray that you'd help me to convey this this morning. And I know the thought seems simple, but this may be the most foundational truth uh, for any disciple to hold on to. Because if we live our lives thinking that it's my kingdom and it's my choice and I can do what I want to do, then we will likely miss out on being a true disciple. God, this is an important truth. I pray that we wouldn't lose it in its simplicity this morning. We need you. We pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We likely don't realize how significant this pronouncement from John the Baptist was when, when um, on day two, again in our exchange, we'll, we'll go over the days so we understand, but on day two when Jesus Christ walks uh, into the area and walks toward John the Baptist, this man from Nazareth, this normal looking man, just a, an average man named Jesus, the son of Joseph, when he walks to John the Baptist and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John was saying this is the promised Messiah. Israel has been waiting on this pronouncement for centuries. So before we think that this is just another moment in time, no, they've been waiting for thousands of years for this moment. We heard on Friday night at the party with Brother Pastor Sperling gave a devotion um, down from Iowa. He was up for that and, and he talked about all the ways that, that Jesus the Messiah had been predicted. And he was in, Ge in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, which is the first glimpse into the coming Messiah. Uh, that after, right after sin, God already had a plan for our sin through his son. It would come through the seed of the woman and uh, the, the serpent would bruise his heel. Um, but Jesus Christ would bruise the head or destroy the serpent once and for all eventually. That was the first time that we see the promise of the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and said, Through your seed I will bless all the nations of the earth. That's a promise for, of the coming Messiah. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob looked at his son Judah and said, the scepter, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Basically the idea was that Judah was the son, the tribe from whom Jesus Christ uh, or the Messiah, they didn't know him as Jesus, but the Messiah was going to come through Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, David spoke about him um, in many, many times in the book of Psalms. If you read the prophets, you get details about the coming Messiah. You get prophecies about the coming Messiah. They said that he would be born of a virgin. They said that he would be born in Bethlehem. And they gave all of these details that he would be a descendant of David born in Bethlehem. And so understand, this is thousands of years in the making. So when John looked at Jesus and said, behold, that's the one. That's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is a turning point for Israel. They've been waiting and waiting, and the Messiah is finally here. Have you ever waited on something and you just couldn't wait anymore? The anticipation was so high. I mean, I, I, I know you've been in moments, you've had situations like that. I remember when our first child, we were waiting on our first child, and I was so impatient and on our due date, I took my wife and made her walk around a lake for three miles. I was like, we need something to happen. 
There was no activity. Those nine months felt really long. And I'm sure it was long for my wife too, but it was really long for me. You know, we've all anticipated things like that, haven't we? We have this maybe a big trip coming up, or you've got a birthday that you've been waiting on, and or maybe when you're younger, you know, get to a certain age, and birthdays you don't really anticipate nearly as much. It could be maybe if you're a young person getting your driver's license or graduating from high school. Um, as you get to be older, young people, maybe like in your 30s or your 40s, it's your wedding day. Sorry, that was a hint to my, my kids here. You know, we've all felt that anticipation. Now, okay, so imagine the thing that you've anticipated the most in your life, that, that event that you could not wait on and you were ready for and just maybe you're still waiting for it. Okay, multiply that by centuries. Multiply that by millions of people. Multiply that by the fact that Israel is in bondage as slaves to Rome and they believe that the Messiah is not just going to come, he's going to deliver them from slavery. Now you know the kind of anticipation that they were looking forward to the Messiah with. This account unfolds over the course of three days. As I mentioned, day one is John the Baptist and he's baptizing not just Gentiles, now he's baptizing Jews. He's baptizing them saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you must bring forth fruit, uh, meat for repentance. You've got to, there's a difference here now that the Messiah is coming. You've got to make straight the way. You've got to prepare yourself for the coming Messiah. He's baptizing Jews. They're looking for Jesus Christ and it piques the interest of the religious establishment the Pharisees, the Levites, the priests, they come out and they say, who are you? And John says, it doesn't matter who I am, I'm just a guy. No, the one coming behind me, that's the one you should be paying attention to. And by the way, he's already here, he says. John had already baptized the Messiah, he had already baptized Jesus Christ, and he was waiting for him just to go public with it. That's day one. They're asking, who are you? He says, I'm just a guy. The Messiah is on his way. Day two. So these are consecutive days. Day two, John is preaching. He's baptizing. And Jesus comes along. Day two is what we just read. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so this crowd that had been building and following John the Baptist, then suddenly there's, there's a, a hush in the crowd. And, and you hear this, this kind of energy start to go through. And they're saying, wait, what did he just say? Did John say that that's the Messiah? Uh, did John just say that that's the Lamb of God? And they look over and they see Jesus. And there's some in the crowd saying, no, um, that, can't be, that's, that can't be the son of the Lamb of God. Um, that's Jesus. I know him. I mean, I, I worked with his dad, Joseph. He's a carpenter. How can that guy be the king? But then John starts to explain, hey, here's how I know he's the king. He's the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. He's the one that you need to take care of your sin problem. Not only that, he's the eternal God. He was there before me and he'll be there well after me. I mean, he is eternal in nature. 
That's the Son of God. And not only that, the Holy Spirit. God told me that the Holy Spirit would come and confirm his identity. I know that's the one, John the Baptist says. I know that's the one because the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, just like God said he would. Hey, folks, listen. This is the Son of God. That's what he says. And the crowd, they're starting to talk and say, this has got to be a mistake. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that guy. But John seems pretty convinced. So that's day two. So now imagine all those people that were there on day two, they go home and they tell their friends. They go home and they get their family and they say, I don't know what we're doing tomorrow, what you think we're doing tomorrow, but after work, we're going back to where John is. We're going to go and we're going to wait because the Messiah already came. He says, John said the Messiah has already come and, and he pointed him out today. You know who it was? It's Mary's boy. And, and the wife's probably like, what? Mary's boy? Uh, what, why, why would he say that Mary's boy is the Lamb of God? And the husband says, I don't know, but that's what he said. We're going back tomorrow because I want to hear more about what John has to say about Jesus. So they go back the next day, and now it's day three. The people have heard Messiah is here. John has pointed him out. The people are coming. The crowds are getting bigger. There's more curious people. And the people that know Jesus are just wondering, okay, how is he going to explain this? I imagine the people are growing. The curiosity is growing. The crowd is getting bigger. It's like reality TV, except it matters. <laughs> you know, plenty of people are doubting what John said. But one thing is sure, John believes it. See, he was convinced that Jesus was, is the Messiah. And I want you to understand this. John is important himself. John's not just some guy, although that's what he keeps saying. No, he's gained a following in his preaching and his baptizing. He actually has gathered to himself, not of his own accord, but because people like to hear his teaching. They're following his preaching. He has his own disciples. There are people following him. Likely dozens of people are with John as his disciples. Not only that, you think, well, I mean, is that the only reason he's important? No, he's also important because, think about it, John was talked about hundreds of years before John ever lived. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah said there will be a voice crying in the wilderness, and he'll be saying, hey... Make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare you the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. There will be a voice in the wilderness prophesying that Jesus is coming. You know who that's talking about? John the Baptist. So lest we think that John is not an important figure. I don't know how many uh, other people in the New Testament were specifically talked about in the Old Testament. John was. Not only that, you think, well, I don't know why John's so important. He's the, he's the cousin of Jesus. He's got his own disciples. He's preaching and baptizing. He was talked about in the Old Testament. He's the cousin of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, by earthly standards, John the Baptist is a pretty big deal. But you know what his mentality is? If Jesus is who he says he is, then he's the one we ought to be following. See, here's another way to say it. If Jesus is who he says he is, it's not my kingdom. Look to the lamb. See, today I want to see this mindset and how it can help us here. See, when you recognize it's not my kingdom, 
first, it allows you to point to Jesus in any situation. When you recognize that it's not my kingdom, it allows you to point to Jesus in any situation, in every situation. Look at verse 35. He says this, again, the next day after John stood. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. The word stood doesn't just mean like he's leaning like sometimes we do. You know, we just kind of lean against the wall or we're talking. No, John is standing with expectation. He's standing where he has been standing. And guess who he's looking for? The Messiah. He's looking for Jesus to come back. John is standing with expectation looking for Jesus. And he's not alone. Two of his disciples are with him. It says again, verse 35, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. And look down in verse 40. Who are these disciples? Well, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So one of the guys that was standing near John the Baptist is a man named Andrew. And maybe you recognize that name. Andrew is one of Christ's 12, 12 apostles. The other, I, by the way, Andrew is Peter's brother. The other, I believe, is John, the writer of the gospel. And the reason I believe that first is um, John in this entire book. Now, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle. In this entire book, he never once mentions his own name. He's very humble. He's not trying to self-promote. He writes about Jesus Christ in this whole gospel, the gospel of John. The title bears his name, but you won't find him saying his own name or writing his own name in this whole book. And, what, and right here in this passage, we see him naming Andrew as one of the disciples that were next to John, John the Baptist. But he doesn't say who the other one was, which I believe that means it's John himself. Another reason that we would assume it could be John is we know that John and Andrew knew each other. How? Well, Andrew and Peter were brothers, and James and John were brothers. And we know in, in, in other Gospels, the Bible says that those two families were in fishing business together. So I believe that this is Andrew, one of the twelve apostles, and John, the writer of the book. They're standing there next to John the Baptist when Jesus walks by. And, and I believe that they were disciples of John the Baptist. They had heard him preach. They, were, they had latched on to his teaching and preaching. And they themselves were looking for the Messiah as well. And, and so look at verse 36. It says, and looking upon Jesus. And that word looking, it means looking with anticipation. This is not just he happened to see him. No, he's looking for him. He's on the lookout for him. And when he sees Jesus, he says exactly the same opening phrase as he did before. He says, behold. I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, behold. John, he's probably has a little bit more self-control than me. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. He's back. He was here yesterday. He's back today. Here he is. And, and John says this for everybody to hear it. But he also says it for the sake of his two disciples standing there. See, I believe that the way that John does this is very deliberate. He's not just pointing Jesus out. Um, I'm going to use a couple of, I'll use you three guys right here, okay? That's what you get for sitting on the front row, okay? So, um, we'll get, Ben, you look like you need to wake up a little bit. So you go over there 
you guys stand on either side of me like this, and you're John and you're Peter, okay? Now, you're Peter, you're John, okay? Timmy talks more. Okay, so you are going to represent Jesus, okay? So what I'm going to have Ben do is just, just start, go a little bit further over there and give us a couple of your best sign language moves. No, just kidding. Okay, ready? So come walk this way and then just walk straight up. And just keep walking that direction. Hey, see that guy? I think that's the Lamb of God. You think that's how John said it? No, come here, come back. You got to run, though. You got to hustle. One time you're allowed to run in church. Okay, so if I was pointing at Jesus as he's walking by, I would be like, hey, there goes Jesus. I don't think that's how John was doing it, though. Okay, go ahead and walk by. Behold the Lamb of God. Okay, now listen. Wait, just stop there. See, there's a difference between pointing at Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. He wasn't just pointing out the fact that that's Jesus, the Messiah. He was pointing people to Jesus. You guys can, you can take a seat. I want you to see the difference there. You see, John was, he was so convinced that it's not my kingdom, that he was pointing people close to him to the Messiah. He wasn't concerned about building his own kingdom. He was pointing people to Jesus. And he was okay with it if they followed Jesus. See, there's a couple of things here that, that, I, that are interesting if you point them out. It says that John stood and Jesus walked by, essentially. John stood and Jesus walked by. And lest we think those are just words, the word stood is a present tense, which means stood means it's just, it, it just is. It's just happening. There's not really progress. It just is. Walked by, though, is an active word that means there's progress moving forward. And the idea here is that while John is standing there, we are literally seeing the torch be passed from the dynamic moving forward ministry of John the Baptist now to Jesus is taking the torch. And it's been active. John the Baptist, it's been all about his preaching. It's been all about his baptizing. But now we see him simply standing. And Jesus is the one walking. The other part about that phrase is this. In verse 29, it says that Jesus came to John the day before. And as he's walking to John... John says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, that's not what's happening now. See, this time John's standing here and Jesus, the idea is Jesus walks past him. He's not coming to John anymore. He's walking past John. And the idea is that Jesus is now working actively in other people's lives. But he's kind of leaving John behind. And, and this, is, this is hard to take. Because if you were John and you were saying, I've been pointing people to you. 
I've been serving you. I've been saying, this is the one. Follow him. Look at him. Look to the lamb. That's been what I've been doing. And why did you just walk past me? See, what we are watching here is, the, is we're watching the transition from John the Baptist and his public dynamic moving forward ministry. And the transition now has been made to now it's all about Jesus and his dynamic moving forward ministry. We are seeing the end of, of John being in the limelight, John being at the forefront, John being in the public eye. We are watching that transition from John to Jesus. And folks, listen, it's one thing to point to Jesus when he's walking your way. When things are good and you're being blessed and life is good and things are moving in your life and things are moving right along and things are going well, it's easy to say in those moments, yeah, it's all about Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. Yeah, look at what he's doing in my life. He's really working in my life. I take no credit for this. This is all about Jesus. See, when Jesus is walking your way, it's pretty easy to give glory to God. But what about the times that God doesn't seem to be walking your way? What about the times that it doesn't seem like God is working in your life? What about the times when his blessings are not obvious? When his presence seems distant? Now we know that God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. But listen, we all go through seasons when it doesn't feel like he's all that interested. It doesn't seem like he's all that active in our lives. It doesn't seem like he's all that concerned about us. It doesn't seem like his presence is very near. And I'm just, I'm just saying this truth. It's a lot harder to point to Jesus when he's not walking your way. That's what's happening. Jesus is doing other things. He's not doing them for John. He's not going to John. He's not really actively now going in John's direction. And John's whole life has been, look at Jesus. Follow Jesus. I mean, I say Jesus, the Messiah. Look at the Messiah. Look to the Lamb. And you would think that Jesus would be excited to see John. Jesus walks up. He's like, oh, there's my cousin John. His whole life he's been preparing people for my ministry. I'm going to go talk to him. Man who's given his whole life to point to Jesus. But Jesus comes and goes. He walks right by. And I believe he's teaching. I believe maybe he's, you know, he's helping or follow, you know, getting disciples, gathering people. He's working in people's lives. But not John's. And listen, if it were me, I might say, what gives? I've been faithful. I've been active. I've done everything that, that you wanted me to do. I've pointed people to Jesus. Why would, why would you just walk by? But John didn't even act like it bothered him. Why? Because he, here's his mindset. It's not my kingdom. If Jesus is who he says he is, 
it's not my kingdom and I don't know why he would walk right past me but it doesn't really matter because he if he's the king he can do it however he wants to do it it's not about me I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do and trust that he knows and that he sees and even though in the moment it doesn't feel like it in the moment it doesn't it doesn't seem like he's near in the moment it doesn't seem like his presence is close but I'm just going to trust him because he's the king I'm going to keep pointing people in Christ's direction. When he's doing more in somebody else's life than mine, I'm just going to point people to Jesus. See, when you can give him glory, whether or not he's blessing you, that's when you know your mind is right. See, there will be times that God seems to be doing more for others than he's doing in your life. And if we're not careful, we grow resentful when that happens. We can be jealous maybe uh, that, that God seems to be really blessing them. I mean, do you struggle to be thankful when others are blessed more than you? And their finances are doing really well and based on the vehicle they're driving. And, and you know that their bills are paid and they're comfortable and their kids are going to have way more Christmas presents than yours. And, and we might say, listen, I've been faithful. I mean, I've been giving. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. And, and where are my blessings? And it's easy to get there, folks. And I, I know we're, we're thinking today, we're, man, we're sanctified and, and we're, we're doing what we ought to do. This is not a problem for me. No, we're all humans. We're all sinners. And it's really easy for us to lose sight of, of the fact that we have one responsibility, and that is to say, it's not my kingdom. I'm going to let God take care of everybody else because it's not my kingdom. I'm going to try not to be jealous of somebody else because it's not my kingdom. I'm going to be happy that God is working in somebody else's life because it's not my kingdom. And, if you, and you've got to be okay with the fact that sometimes God doesn't do things in your life the way that he might do it in somebody else's life. And the only way that you'll get through it is to say this. It's, it's his kingdom, not mine. No, contentment is a problem in these situations. Can you still point to Jesus when others are growing? And you're in a season of standing still? See, it's hard when Jesus is so clearly walking towards you if they if he's done that before and man, I mean have you been there where your walk with God your relationship with God was just so close and there was such a tight relationship and he was so he was working so uh, so clearly in your life and now you're kind of wondering where is he I mean especially then when you look around and it's like he's working in somebody else's life you know, we get discontent and impatient because we want what we had, but sometimes the well seems to run dry. And we all go through these seasons where he's working in somebody else that more than he's working in your life. And you've got to have, hey, listen, it's not my kingdom mentality and be content the fact that he is working or that he has worked and just keep being what you're supposed to be until the season of, of dryness ends. You know, this helps us in faithfulness. John the Baptist had been getting lots of attention, but now Jesus was getting the attention. And John could have been, he could have been confused. He could have gotten upset. 
but in, and when others get attention in service, we have to learn our job is simply to be faithful to the king. See, it's not my kingdom. God may use somebody in a way that he doesn't use you. And he may use them in a position that maybe you think you could be used. Or maybe somebody else gets mentioned or they get credit for something. Then you say, well, I did that too. And you're thinking, well, what about me? No, the only way that you can get through those times is to have the mindset, it's not my kingdom, it's his. If you want to avoid jealousy and you want to be content and faithful no matter what, you must continually tell yourself, it's not my kingdom. But see, the struggle doesn't end with Jesus walking by. I mean, that would have been hard enough, right? It would have been hard enough to say, oh, here comes Jesus. And John's like, you know, he's kind of combing out his camel skins. Here he comes. It's my cousin. Hey, cuz, there he is. He walks right by. That's hard enough. But verse 37 says that these two men that were standing by him, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So it's not that John just kind of got ignored by Jesus. He just walked by. But the two men, maybe his two right-hand men, his two best men, they listened to John's word and they followed Jesus. And you might say, well, this is the origin of the first Christian church. I mean, Jesus is calling his first members. I believe that's what we're watching here. But think about it. Maybe that's true. They literally left John and went after Jesus. They left John standing there by himself. They gave Jesus their allegiance from that moment on. And you see, John is the one that pointed them to Jesus. And, and, and then they left. It's a hit. It costs John. But see, that's what an, it's not my kingdom mentality will do. It, it, first, it will allow you to point to Jesus in every situation. But second, it will allow you to point to Jesus no matter what it costs you. Amen. See, John lost two disciples just like that. And these were the cream of the crop. I mean, Andrew, in this text, Andrew's already a soul winner. He's already reaching people for Jesus. He was a martyr for Jesus Christ. That's Andrew. Not only that, the other one is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And these guys were cream of the crop. Yet when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, you know what he was really saying? Get this, I'm just the guy. And if Jesus, he's standing here, Jesus walks by, he said, I'm just the guy. Listen, John, Andrew, I'm just the guy. But if he is who he says he is, that's the one you should be following. And in that moment, Andrew and John, maybe as two best men, they immediately leave John the Baptist's side and follow Jesus. You know, it's no fun to lose people who you love. And at this point, they've probably been together for a couple of years. They're his disciples. I mean, they're committed. But John wasn't as concerned with what he lost as he was that Jesus got the glory he deserved. John's motto was this, it's my kingdom, not my kingdom. So even if it costs me, I'm going to point people to Jesus. Amen. See, listen, living for Jesus Christ, pointing people to Jesus Christ is going to cost you. You have to decide right now if you want to hold on to the things that you've got or let them go for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, I think about serving God. Serving God is going to cost you. You, know, I mean, you come and, and, and you, you know, come to a church and you attend a service and you think, oh man, you know, this is, this is great. I mean, things are just moving along and, you know, we got people in place and it's just a well-oiled machine. And yeah, I, I, could, I could see myself just coming being a member of this club. Except a church is not a club. A church is a place where you serve as a disciple, as a committed disciple, you serve God. And it will cost you to serve God if you're a member of a church. And listen, it will cost you Sunday mornings. And maybe Sundays your whole life. Literally, I know people that aren't here today because they don't want to give up Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings have always been the sleep-in day. Sunday mornings have always been the brunch day. And yet around here are Sunday mornings. Before 7, we've got ladies in the kitchen getting ready for men's prayer meeting. We've got men showing up at 7.45 to spend time in prayer and fellowship before the buses go out in the cold. We've got people back teaching and doing junior church. And people, yesterday we had trustees up here. And they were fixing lights and getting things done around the building. I mean, listen, if you're going to serve God... It's not all fun and games. It's going to cost you. It's going to require something of you. Serving God. It takes something to serve God. And and I'm not just talking about being a church member. I'm talking about being a disciple. And the two things are different. Because it's easy to sign your name on the dotted line and say, yes, I'll be a member of that church. But it's a totally different animal to say, yes, I will be a disciple. It costs John. It costs us. That's discipleship. And Jesus says if we come after him and we count not the cost, then we aren't going to last in the discipleship game. We're not going to make it. No, we have to decide that Jesus is worth the cost. And here's the secret. He is worth the cost. Anything you give up for Jesus Christ, he repays abundantly. And I don't mean he makes you rich here. I mean you can be rich toward God and have eternal rewards because you said, I know there's a cost to follow, but I'm willing to do it. It's going to cost you to to serve God. It's going to cost you. If you're going to point people to Jesus, it's going to cost you. I know people that have decided, I'm going to be a real witness at work, and it costs them friends. I know people, young people that decided, I'm going to be a witness at school, and it costs them popularity. They stopped getting invited to the the parties, and they stopped getting invited to hang out with the in crowd. And listen, if you say, I'm going to point people to Jesus, it's going to cost you. That co-worker might avoid you from here on out. Pointing people to Jesus comes with a cost. It takes time and energy. And, and if you're going to knock on somebody's door or give them a track, it takes some courage because you will likely often at times get rejected for it. But if one person comes before it because of your choice to point them to Jesus, is that worth the cost? Absolutely. I'll say amen. Absolutely it is. Is Jesus worth it? If no one ever responds to the gospel. Yes. I mean, this applies in so many ways. I think about raising children. You know, we're, we're, we have to be willing to give them to God. It's gonna, it could cost us. I'm not saying it could cost us our children's lives in that way. I'm saying that we raise our children 
and, and we think, well, you know, I want them to succeed in areas I didn't, and I want them to make this money, and I want them to have this job and this career. Well, what if God calls your child to be in the ministry? What if he calls your child to be a missionary overseas and you only get to see him every few years? And then it gets really hard when they have a grand when you have a grandbaby. That's really where the difficulty comes. I, I'm just saying, like we, we say, yeah, we're willing to count the cost, but but many times we're not willing to count the cost like we ought to be. When our children were little, we gave them all to God. Whatever he calls them to do, we'll be okay with because that's a cost we counted from the very beginning. And this goes a different way too. Parents, if, if you're going to raise children and point them to Jesus, there are going to be costs in your daily lives. There are some things that you ought not be watching if you're going to point your children to Jesus Christ. There are some things that we can't be listening to if we're going to point our children to Jesus Christ. There are some things, that, there are decisions that we're going to have to make because we want our children to see Jesus in us and we want to point them to Jesus. And sometimes that comes with a cost that some parents are not willing to, to pay. This applies in so many ways. The point is, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to say, it's not my kingdom. And beside that, whatever the cost is, is worth it. John the Baptist had made up his mind. Two chapters later, what did he say? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, decrease is a cost. And John said, whatever it is that Jesus asks me to do, I'll say yes to it. If it means that he gets the gain, I'll take the loss. If he takes my two best disciples, I'll take the loss. If he takes my, my Sunday mornings, listen, I'm not sure that's a loss because you get to worship the Lord with his people. But I know for some it feels like a loss. No, Jesus is worth the cost. Is, is it worth the cost to get up an hour early so I can spend time in, my, in the word, in prayer with my Savior? Yeah, I, it may not feel like it when the alarm goes off. But spiritually speaking, totally worth it. Is it really worth the cost to give my life to serve God? Well, I mean, you can weigh the, if, you, if you're talking financially, it, it may not ever, you know, look like it's even or equals out. Until you stand before God in heaven. And you find out that you setting aside the things that he was asking for turned into great reward in heaven. Because you were willing to count the cost. See, a person truly committed to the king is willing to suffer loss so that Christ gets the gain. See, pointing people to Jesus, I'm just telling you this morning, it's not easy. Is it rewarding? Yes, but it's not easy. Giving God glory, even in hard situations, is not easy. And when following Jesus costs you, it's not easy. But if you'll remember this, it's his kingdom, not mine. It's going to help you live in such a way that God is pleased. So what does this mindset help us do? Well, it allows you to point people to Jesus even when things aren't going your way. See, you can still give glory to God and point people to Christ when the Lord seems far away. You can still give glory to God and point people to Christ uh, even when someone else is getting blessed and you're not. 
You can still point people to Christ and give God glory, even if you're in a season of struggle. You can still point people to Christ and give God the glory. If you can say, it's his kingdom, not mine, it will spare you from jealousy. It'll help you to remain content. It will help you to remain faithful because you remember that it's not about you. And I can tell you this, just because God seems far away doesn't mean that he is. Do you trust the king? Just keep pointing people to Jesus and let him work out the rest. And you may not get rewarded here, but you're, if you're about his kingdom, you will be rewarded in heaven. It will be worth it all. So this mindset allows you to be willing to accept the cost of discipleship. I, my son and I, Jace, on my days off, we like to go to Menards. And if I'm doing a, a, a project at home, I end up going to Menards about six times per project. Because I think, oh, I've got the right tools or the right parts. And like, no, that's not right. I go back. The people at returns at Menards think I've got some kind of scheme going, but no. So I go, we, we go to Menards. So on, on my days off, especially, I, so I've got to the place where as we, I let him pick the, um, pick the checkout, the, the lane that we go to. And I give him the card. And he goes up there, he puts all the stuff on the belt, then he goes over to the keypad uh, and, he, and he does the transaction with the card. And he you know, pulls it out, makes sure he gets the receipt, puts it in the bag, just a little thing to help him learn how to do that. And yesterday or Friday, one of the ladies was like, oh man, he's really good at that. And I said, yeah, he's really good at spending dad's money. And I said, but one day when it's his money, I can guarantee you he's not going to be so happy about swiping that card. <laughs> and see, that's, that's what we're talking about today. See, it's one thing um, to follow Jesus or point people to Jesus when it doesn't cost you anything. But when it starts costing you, that's when you find out whose kingdom you're actually living for. When you're finally ready to, to take the cost, to take the lost, the loss because Jesus Christ is worth it. And you say, well, how do you get there? Well, let me just remind you what Jesus Christ did for you. See, he went to a cross. He took the cost. Uh, he took a major loss he died in your place and in my place so that we could be saved. And so if you ever get to the place where you think, well, I'm just not sure that it's worth it to follow Jesus if it means I have to give this up and I have to give that up and I have to do this. Well, just remember this. He already gave up his life for you. He already took the ultimate cost for you. And every person in this room are sinners. Uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve to be separated from God forever in a place, a literal place called hell because of our sin. And that is the cost of our sin. And Jesus Christ came to this planet and he died on a cross in our place, took our sins upon his body in our place as a substitute paid for our sins and gives us now the opportunity to receive him as our savior and by faith place our faith in him so that we can have the gift of eternal life that's the cost that Jesus Christ paid for you 
So if you ever get to the place, I'm not sure the cost is worth it. Just remember that he gave you eternal life. And it's time for his people to stop counting the cost and recognize, no, he's already done more than deserve whatever he asks me to do in his name. He deserves the glory when he's walking towards you. He deserves the glory when he's walking away from you. He deserves the glory when he's working in someone's life more than yours. He deserves the glory when they're blessed and you're not. He deserves the glory when it costs you something, even people around you. Why? Well, if he is who he says he is, that's what he deserves. Who else is the son of God? Who else has died for you? Who else is the lamb which taketh away the sin of the world? Or there's no one else. And no one else can do for you what Christ did, what Christ has done for you. And if he is who he says he is, then the only life worth living is the one that points people to Jesus. So I'm just asking today, how many people have you pointed to Jesus? How many times have you let a tough situation keep you from pointing people to Jesus? How many times have you counted the cost and decided pointing people to Jesus is not worth it? How many people are closer to Jesus because of you? How many have met Jesus because of your influence? How many have seen Jesus clearly because of your example? Have you allowed struggles to keep you from pointing people to Jesus? Have you allowed the cost to keep you from pointing people to Jesus? Listen, here's the mindset. If Jesus is who he says he is, then no matter what and no matter the cost... It's his kingdom, not mine. Maybe it's time for us to stop living for our kingdoms and point people to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist gives us a fine example of this mindset and what it looks like. And today, the takeaway I want you to leave with is this. It's not my kingdom. No matter what situation and no matter what cost, it's not my kingdom. So I'm just going to keep pointing people to Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have a verse of invitation. We'll have the piano play. I want to encourage you this morning to do business with the Lord. If he's speaking to you this morning, would you you be willing to step out and, and make a decision for Christ? Maybe you've come this morning and you say, I don't know that I'm saved. And you don't know what happens if you die today. Where will you spend eternity? Do you know Jesus? All of this is in vain if you don't know him. Would you like to meet him today? You can. We've got folks here that could show you from God's word how you could spend eternity in heaven. I would assume that most people in here, many in here know where they'll spend eternity. So for you then, have you been living to point people to Jesus Christ or have you been living for your kingdom? Listen, if it's not, my, if it's not your kingdom, if it's his, then you have really one life to live that matters, and that's living for God's kingdom. Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you allowing struggles to keep you from it? Are you counting the costs and deciding he's not worth it? Listen, how shameful if we could count the costs and say, Jesus, it's not worth the life you're asking me to live when he died in your place. Let's let this truth ring in our hearts and ears even now. It's not my kingdom, it's his. Father, Thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help us to make decisions 
that please you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.